Welcome to the five things this week in social. It's the podcast that searches for the latest and greatest in social and distills it down to the five most important topics to give you the executive summary on what you need to know to get through the week. If you're a marketing professional, a content creator, or anyone whose job it is to be online and use social apps, then you found the right podcast. On this show today, we have our friend, Data Strategy Director, Daniel Avon. And welcome to the show, Senior Planner here at Gray, Alex Black. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Joey. Great to speak to you as always. As always. And what are you looking forward to most this March? It's going to be cliche to talk about the weather, but this March, I am looking forward to warmer days and longer days. And hello, Alex. Welcome to the show. Same question for you. Anything about March that feels exciting? Yeah, I'm also extremely excited for daylight savings to finally come get the weather going. I'm also really lucky in that I'm going to go see my brother in Disney World later this month. So that's going to be a a big plus. Those are all exciting things. Well, I'm Joey Scarillo, and I always enjoy March Madness because I get to randomly pick college basketball teams and hope for the best. All right, on to the five things. First up, Daniel breaks down the potential TikTok ban and how it is becoming more of a reality as action is likely advancing in the house. Then Alex explains something we don't usually discuss on the show as Selena Gomez outranks Kylie Jenner in the follower count on Instagram, and we find out why that's important. Then Daniel discusses Meta, who doubled down on their AI aspirations, Then Alex shares Instagram's update that allows gifts and replies and channels plus a broadcast feature. And finally, Daniel talks TikTok who are making moves with music and money. All right, friends, let's get into it. Let's start with TikTok. Daniel, tell us about what's going on in the house. Usually when we say in the house, it's, it's, you know, music and good, good feelings and good times. However, continuing to talk about the legal limbo of TikTok's existence in this country. This is not the first time we've spoken about this, and it surely will not be the last. But there are some rather serious and quite quick developments this past week. With the recently sworn in and committed Republican-led House, the Foreign Affairs Committee has drawn up and, as expected, so this is a bit of an update, has voted in legislation this week that would give the government authority to ban TikTok outright. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the ins and outs of what this is, what it means. This bill is included in a lot of other China-related legislation, but this is kind of a new way of doing things because as a new bill, it would not, under normal circumstances, have already gone to vote. There would have been some conversations internally, some things done in that regard. But because it's being sponsored by the committee's chair, Mike McCall of Texas, the process has been expedited. There are a lot of politics and amendments and acts involved in the discussion of this issue. But the TLDR is during the Cold War, at the end of the Cold War, there was a bill introduced called the Berman Amendments. They prevented the government from restricting the import and export of information via media such as film and magazines. So could be anti-U.S. propaganda in a film. That's cool to come into the country and so forth. Government can't touch it. 
This bill has expanded since then in its purview with precedent. So over time, it's just continued to expand. The new bill that's being presented by the House and is moving to the Senate stipulates that sensitive personal data is not included under the information portion of the Berman amendments. And therefore, the U.S. government, through this loophole, can sanction TikTok and ban it outright. It's interesting because while this action is happening in the House, there's a parallel move within the Biden administration through the Committee of Foreign Investment to broker a deal with TikTok to restructure how they operate in this country and how much of what they do here gets back to headquarters in China. It's to be seen if the the bill presented by the House passes in the Democratic Senate and also sort of what happens with what's in progress with the Biden administration, because while the Republican Congress is trying to ban this outright, the Biden administration seems to be motivated to make things work with TikTok, figuring out a way for them to keep data in this country and keep them operating because there is a lot of money at play there. As it has been and hopefully will be for a little bit longer, this is a wait and see situation. It's unclear if and what implications this will have for brands, users, and creators. In my opinion, an outright ban is unlikely. But until we see a amenable way of operating in the U.S., we will likely continue to see additional headlines from other organizations not allowing employees or people connected to their organizations to access TikTok on devices that they that the organization owns, like the federal government has done and like many educational organizations have done to date. So again, wait and see, but there is some movement and some pressure on TikTok to make things work. Definitely sounds like another GOP versus Democrats debate as this starts to break down. But this is not a politics podcast. So I want to know in a sort of hypothetical or maybe not hypothetical, Alex, what do you actually think a TikTok ban would look like in this country? Would there be bootleg versions? Would there be protests in the streets? Would Instagram just like boom and eat this up? What do you think would actually happen if we ban TikTok in this country? Honestly, all of the above. <laughs> but no, most likely Instagram will definitely kind of take suit because people are so used to the behavior of recording, putting their thoughts out there. But also other platforms like Twitter will probably come up a little bit more. Snapchat, the ones that kind of mimic the behaviors. And I was always that person of like, wow, it's so annoying that this platform is cheating and taking on another platform's feature just to kind of match it. But at the end of the day, it is smart in case things like this do happen. It will be really interesting, especially for Gen Z and Gen Alpha, where they have truly grown up with this being an outlet and where they'll go, how they'll go about it. Instagram has kind of become the new Facebook and that it is connections and people you know very, very personally. Will people be as open as they were on TikTok? Maybe not. But odds are we'll get those bootlegs, we'll get Americanized versions, someone will try to really scoop up what it looks like, because people are not going to, you know, for lack of a better term, stay quiet. I wonder if people will be able to VPN into the original TikTok. I mean, that's also something that that's where my brain goes, even though I don't know anything about using a VPN and how that would work. But if you can watch Netflix from Europe, I'm sure you can find a way to get a bootleg version of TikTok. Okay. We are not a politics podcast, and we are also not a celebrity gossip podcast, but we have a very exciting story that also relates to social media as Selena Gomez outranks Kylie Jenner for Instagram followers, and I need to know 
why I need to know this. Alex, let me know. Joey, I'm here just to shake it up, basically, is is the name of the game for this week. Totally a big move coming in and being like, let's talk about Instagram following and celebrities. But yeah, for a very long time, Kylie Jenner was the most followed woman on Instagram. A lot of that was due to her brand, different deals, kind of her being this next generation of fabulous businesswoman. What we've seen over the last few months has been definitely big celebrity gossip. But I think the big piece here is it has real implications for the ways that social grows or the ways that brands really pay attention to who they want to talk to, who they want to bring in and why. So the TLDR and Daniel and I've been talking about this for a little bit. So also want Daniel to kind of pop in and this be a bigger discourse. But over the last few months, there have been a lot of conversations happening between Hailey Bieber, Kylie, Taylor Swift, so many people just in the mix and just bringing up really old drama. The big one right now is Hailey Bieber's relationship with Justin Bieber and kind of the background of what the relationship was like with Selena Gomez, timelines, who did what he said, she said. But people are really into it and really paying attention. And it's kind of becoming a little bit of a rival of Team Hailey, Team Selena. And what we're seeing here is people are very adamantly Team Selena. But even past this whole celebrity debacle, there are a lot of other pieces that have driven her follower growth and her fame. Obviously, Only Murders in the Building, which, you know, again, really loving the title of this week's podcast with it, working with incredible people like Steve Martin, Martin Short, being able to really grow that type of genre. Obviously, her beauty brand, which is a really interesting parallel to Kylie Jenner, where these are both really powerful, really amazing, really iconic women that have their own really strong businesses, especially in the beauty sector. But what's different about Selena is that she has truly taken off all the frills. Like her makeup or getting ready videos are not like, let me show you each product. She's like, all right, guys, it is 6 a.m. I am done here. Let's try this concealer. I'm going to try this random thing that my friend taught me. So We talk about authenticity a lot in marketing, and it has become such a buzzword. But I think Selena Gomez has really shown us what that means at such a high level, and that your brand can be open when you have the right spokesperson in front of it. Followers aren't the only thing that matters right now. It truly is the way that you're perceived, the way that you respond to drama. She's only responded a little bit to the drama, which I think has been really good for her because it kind of just shows like what she's rolling off her back and what she actually cares about. And it's not really this. I respond to all the drama. No, I'm kidding. Okay, Daniel, discourse away here. What does this mean about where we are in culture at this moment? I think it signifies quite a few things about where we are in culture. And personally, as somebody who went to high school in the 2000s, where being mean, toxic was how you kind of solidified your status as a popular person, which translated into celebrity culture as well as influencer culture, how it was you are this like unattainable, unrealistic version of a person. And personal dysphoria is because I will never be that. Selena is introducing some energy into the celebrity and influencer space, which I think kind of has a tangent to brands where She's not editing everything that she does. There's nothing that is seemingly artificial. Like if she feels like she is really tired or maybe she isn't looking the best that she wants to look on a given day, she just presents herself. She puts herself out there. She tells the truth. She's like, here's where I am. This is what I'm going through. It's so refreshing. And I hope that this like 
positive but vulnerable energy continues forward in an influencer space that at least of my like central millennial generation has probably created a lot of like dissatisfaction of where we are in our own lives, comparing ourselves to others. She is bringing this new energy in there that may create more of a healthy relationship with users and social media and give an opening for brands to be a little bit braver in like talking about where they are, not necessarily like where they mess up, but just kind of things that they have to work on acknowledging space for growth. So all of that to say, I hope this signifies a next wave of what influencer celebrity and brand culture could be of more positivity, authenticity, and vulnerability for the sake of good, not just for the sake of being authentic for being authentic sake. So to be redundant. Yeah, I think authentic is one of those words that gets thrown around in decks and pitches very often. And I think this is the reality of it. And seeing it in pop culture, I think is really, really proves that authentic is in fact what people want nowadays. Okay, let's get back to the platforms here. And let's talk about Meta, who doubles down on their AI aspirations with some top level team. Daniel, Make sense of it all for us. All good. I'm going to get Christina Aguilera back to basics on this one. We're not talking about any salacious gossip or any politics or tangential politics. This is purely meta in its truest meta state. We've talked in the past of meta's continued investment and losses in investment on the metaverse which topped almost $14 billion in 2022 alone. They're now turning focus, not redirecting, so they're not moving away from the metaverse, but they are creating an area of focus around this trending generative AI space, which we have talked about at length on this podcast. In past episodes, we've mentioned specific to Meta that they were developing a video or GIF AI capability and how they are kind of in the past playing their hand in this. I think there have been some, you know, like chatbot-y like things that they've worked on that have had some generative or templated AI. But this new initiative has a top-level product group that seeks to, to quote Zuck from a Facebook post, because I know in the past we've talked about Meta announcing on Twitter, oddly. This is through Facebook that they're talking about their intents, which is to build delightful experiences around generative AI into all of their different products. So what has been signaled so far is that WhatsApp and Messenger will focus on text and Instagram will focus on images. It appears that the generative AI on these platforms will take shape in the form of a persona that helps users to accomplish different tasks. One nugget that was in Zuck's post that I found interesting and kind of excited of what this could be is generative AI to make Instagram filters. So not just requiring you to have some artistic background, you can ask or in the future, future you can ask of the generative AI to develop a filter for you. This is another announcement of intent. So nothing material has surfaced just yet. This is just the charter that they're setting out on. We've seen similar things from Google and Snapchat, as well as Microsoft, and how it will expand upon and integrate the success of its loosely connected to the company ChatGPT. It currently feels like a bit of an arms race. So maybe Google versus Microsoft, Meta versus Snap, and possibly others will fall into the race. I know TikTok has been doing some things there, but time will tell how hot this trend continues to burn and how these solutions are developed, adopted, and used by users in the future. 
it's kind of an exciting time as a user of these platforms to be able to test and engage and help shape what these technologies become and how they can be used. In past innovations, there have been beta tests where certain cells of users have gotten access to this. So I'm really excited to see what that looks like and the initial use cases that are created. But I do anticipate a lot of funny and quirky bits that we've seen with generative AI as it's kind of maturing and coming to be. But hopefully some great and useful and responsible things to come, that they put some good safeguards in place for the safety of users and the types of things that are possible to be developed with these generative AI advancements. So, Daniel, you mentioned that they're not moving away from the metaverse. Um, you know, a year ago, the race was on for the metaverse, and now it feels like the race is on for AI. And so, again, with these tools, always comes the question of, so what now? Alex, I'm curious, where do you think creativity can go with some of these tools that Meta is talking about releasing? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty incredible how they're putting their eggs in so many baskets. And we kind of referenced it before. That's probably a good idea. And Reality Labs has been such a focus. And we've seen that turn from Oculus and VR now into more of this AI AR space. Um, with creativity specifically, I think what's really interesting is that this has become more of a turn for user first creativity versus brand or business first creativity. And that seems to come in waves a lot of like when different platforms will concentrate on. All right, now it's advertisers who will give me money and use my products. And like, that's where I'm really going to invest and show off on all the different channels through all the different reps I can. But I mean, at the end of the day, we as advertisers are also in the space of people are becoming more creative. They're making more types of TikToks. They're making more genres. They're making even different types of tweets and taking advantage of things in ways that I don't think the platforms expected. So to now create a product where it really is a free for all <laughs> for people of like, all right, here are the capabilities go for it, we'll definitely see a much different behavior, I think, coming out of that. Yeah, should be interesting to keep an eye on. Okay, from the parent company to the star child, let's talk about Instagram and how their updates are now going to allow GIFs in replies and channels and a whole broadcast feature. I love GIFs, but are GIFs still a thing? Let's talk about We've it. We've had this conversation even in the strategy department so many times. Like I think one of us found maybe it was an article of like Gen Z finds GIF cringe. And we had to do a little bit of a, a test and it, it did turn out that some people did in fact find GIFs kind of cringy. I'm not saying one way or another, but it is a really bold move for them to be bringing gifts into comment replies for a few reasons. One, it is potentially outdated. I really have to take a better look at even what the data is of GIF usage over time. But overall, we are seeing people kind of move away from that as a format. So that's more of just user behavior is number one. Number two, they take up a lot of space. So I'm interested to see how the layout is actually going to go in people's feeds, especially that it is image and video first already. So how are we really going to be able to differentiate and mentally care <laughs> about like what the main image or what the main post is versus the gifts or comments that come out of that? So the way it impacts the user interface will be really interesting. And then lastly, as someone that works in social, It'll be really interesting to see what brands gravitate toward it. Like I know in Twitter, brands love GIFs and it was a really easy way to interact. But on a platform like Instagram, it'll be really interesting to see, is it fun? Is it cringy? Do more brands now make 
really specific gifts of their product or their launch or their branding. And that's kind of what they stick to. So it'll be cool for all of us in social to explore all of the options that we have and if it's right for us or not. So yeah, so there's a lot at foot of the way that we look at gifts in advertising and in social. But the other really big feature that came out was broadcast channels where Zuck, uh, cannot believe that that is his username still, broadcasted on his Instagram channel. So kind of similar to what Daniel said before of, thank goodness they're using the appropriate channels to actually release the features they're talking about. But I digress. And this seems kind of like an answer to Discord. So we're seeing a theme here with Meta specifically really looking at different features from different platforms and trying to get them all in respectively. So broadcast channels, for those that haven't seen it, are a new vertical in messengers. So brands, verified accounts can go in and kind of create this announcement channel. So it is pulsed and pushed out messages from either the account themselves or whatever admins they have about anything and everything. So it could be information, it could be a teaser, it could be whatever. I haven't seen any brands or influencers grab onto this. I think at the moment, it's still just Mark Zuckerberg and in testing. But the channel is really interesting and probably no surprise, very clinical in the announcements that he has. But the way that users interact with it is obviously a subscribing and being able to see every time it comes in through their DMs, but also that they can react to it. So polls are an option and people can participate in polls or they can react with the emojis that we see normally in DMs. So this is an example now on the other side of it being a business or advertising or account first feature that people can really gravitate toward and use versus it being a user first feature like we just talked about with Meta. I want to go back to the gift conversation. I'm sure this broadcast feature is going to be amazing, but I personally want to focus on the gifts for a minute here. Okay, so you mentioned the data around gifts, and if that data actually exists, I might be the one swaying it in the other direction. Who knows? But Daniel, do you actually know the sentiment around or any data around gift usage? Joey, I hate to say it, I do not know that information at this current moment. Okay, I'm going to ask the data person a question you probably hate getting. What does your gut feel? Like, what do you feel about GIF usage? So I'm using a few data points from this podcast. I am a Chugi millennial who apparently verges on cringe, and I use GIFs excessively. And since the feature has been added into Teams, since it's been added into Apple text and all that type of stuff, I'm a big user proponent of GIFs. But I think that gifts within a private environment are probably increasing as these features have rolled out and developed. But gifts within a public environment, say a Twitter feed where you can do gifts, um, I don't think that Instagram stories supports get like there are certain environments that just don't support it. And so I think that just based on that sheer nature and people moving away from Twitter, it's probably on the decline. But as the functionality is added into Instagram, it's curious to see. Um, I'm also curious because Instagram since its inception has been so much about the aesthetic of the platform, about here's a beautiful square photo, it's so clean, underneath you just have text. What it looks like, like the chaos potentially or the Reddit level chaos that it could look like with this new added feature and with a potential rise to your earlier question in the use of GIFs on 
public-facing social media. What's funny is that gifts actually are available on Instagram stories. But to your point of like, is this the platform for it? People never use it. I also love the point of like, would Reddit be cleaner than Instagram? That is a very scary thought. I say, millennials, stay chuggy. Don't give in. If you found the right moment from Shit's Creek to accentuate your point, keep it up. Keep it up. Don't do that middle part. Keep it up. Keep your side part. Do whatever, do whatever you're supposed you, whatever you want to do with your genes, just keep doing it. Live your life. Just you do you. Okay, I'm done. All right. Let's once again go back to TikTok. Daniel, tell us about the new features they are rolling out, the music and money features. What's it all about? So you do you is actually a great segue because there is a sort of you doing you mentality within these new features that TikTok is rolling out. I'm going to dive into each separately, these music and money pieces. It sounds a little bit like a riddle to say like, Sounds for Business and Trivia, like what is it going to be? But here we go. Sounds for Business is essentially a marketing toolkit for small businesses. And I suppose businesses can use this as well to create content on the platform. There are templates that include music, VO, and other sounds, some of which include prompting businesses to feature their most popular products, packing and shipping process, reasons to shop small, among other things. This can all be found currently in TikTok's commercial music library and is fair game for paid and owned content royalty-free, which is amazing. I'm a huge fan of the premise of this, and I hope it brings success to many small businesses. The fear, however, is that if all small businesses adopt from the limited components of this toolkit, just outright, they're sort of like copy pasting within, it could become a bit of an eye and ear glaze over sea of sameness scenario. However, it's on the businesses to leverage this as a tool, not a crutch to develop their own voice and content that highlights and differentiates their business. And it's just a good thing for TikTok to do for small businesses that algorithmically they have been trying to help benefit on the platform. All right. That is sounds for business or the music side of the equation. Let's talk money. TikTok trivia was experienced by many on TikTok this past week. As I know Alex can kind of attest to, I think that there were some user issues, which is one of the complaints about it. But to talk about how it should work, there was a widget put on users for you page and through there they could access the experience. It's a little unclear if this will be made a recurring thing or feature. This most recent five-day trivia fest was sponsored by Lionsgate and John Wick Chapter 4 and was hosted by social media personality James Henry and boasted money prizes from a $500,000 fund. It's a kitty. Everyone who participates gets some piece of it if they win, but it's not a $500,000 prize outright. Any mass online trivia events cannot go without comparison to HQ, uh, which had its heyday back in 2017. Curious if Joey and Alex ever participated in that. I personally never did. But I do remember the charismatic host and the Candy Crush level can't miss out on this behavior of the platform. TikTok trivia on the other end was not as user-friendly or enjoyable for a number of reasons. There seemed to be pretty complicated rules. The host was criticized for not having rehearsed or given proper preparation on the side of TikTok. And the prize was divided and felt ultimately pretty small. 
from the article that I read, one of the high wins from it was like $100, which is a lot of money, but comparing to the HQ universe, not a ton. These are all fixable things. It's exciting and a little bit nerve wracking to see a platform take a chance and kind of take things in beta, their first opportunity to do this and have a lot of room for improvement. So I hope this doesn't scare TikTok on its own or for other advertisers to experiment with experiences similar to this. This has potential to add value to users' experiences on the platform, as well as value and attention for brands. We're always looking for opportunities for brands to show up differently and give novel, um, engaging experiences to consumers to get them to pay attention and get affinity for the brand, but also have some sort of good that the consumers or users benefit from. Next time around, I hope there will be plentiful rehearsals. We're going to do blocking. We're going to keep it a tight five and so forth. Fewer and simpler rules and a more inspiring, possibly bigger prize, even if it's just for one or four people. I like to think this show is also a tight five or maybe a tight 25, depending on how you look at it. All right. I love trivia. I never participated in Trivia HQ. Alex, did you? You bet I did. I was very much nightly HQ coming in, whether it was before class, after class, because I think I was in college when it was happening. And I remember like sitting in my living room with my roommate, just going hard on it and all of the, no, what do you mean? I absolutely got that right. But I don't think that this really had the same effect. The other major piece too, is that there was actually a documentary released last month with Glitch that was all about the rise and fall of Trivia HQ. So interested to see if it's on purpose or not. It could be. I don't think anything's really an accident. All right, friends. Well, that does it for us. Like I said, type five. If you don't already, be sure to follow us, share us, review us, like us, write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest or complaints, or just send us a thing you want us to talk about. You can do all of that by emailing us at podcasts at gray.com. And of course, I want to thank our panel today, Daniel and Alex. Alex, join us again soon. Let's make it a thing. And as always, thanks to Samantha Geller and Amanda Fuentes and the crew over at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes for making us sound amazing. And finally, thank you, listener. And please, I can't stress this enough. Please be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Samantha Geller. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Amanda Fuentes and Guy Rosemarin. With post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by Christina Hyde and Adrian Hopkins. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.